Well, I did not change on your outline the text. It's not the same text as last week. We are on 13 through 15. So if you want to make that change, we're on James 5, 13 through 15. And this is where he talks about things that we are to do based on what's going on with us. So we're going to take a, a look at each of these. In particular, the part that he talks about with the sick. It's a very famous verse. That if anyone is sick among you, let him lay hands on the, uh, let him call for the elders, mm-hmm. and they'll anoint him with oil. And this verse is applied in a lot of different situations, and actually the Greek on it only allows it to be applied in a few. So we'll take a look at what that is, and uh, see that through scripture. And that is one reason why you have so many scriptures today, is so that I can show you how this actually uh how this actually applies. So, James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Now, the word here, suffering, means to suffer or to endure hardship, evils or troubles, to be afflicted, used frequently for hardships of military service. So, it has a military concept to this. You, I wrote down a few of the references for this, 2 Timothy 2 and 3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 of the same chapter, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even in, to the point of change, but the word of God is not chained. And in 2 Timothy 4 and 5, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now, is anyone among you suffering? If we are suffering or enduring hardship, he says, if this is something that you're going through, let him pray. Now, he does not say pray that it would go away, but that's how a lot of people will pray. If we're suffering, go, God, take this away from me. Uh, Have this thing go away. And one of the best examples we can think of this is Jesus in the garden. He was suffering. He was about to endure, and he prayed. Now, he did pray, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But if not, I'll do it. And, he, of course, he did it. He went on through all that. We can maybe follow suit on some of those things, but we have to be willing to go through and to to endure. So, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, what happens a lot of times is that people go through suffering times and they want everybody else to pray. You pray for me. Uh, can you all do this? And They all want everyone else to pray or just pray over me or you do this. But if we're suffering, if we're enduring hardship... The, James is real clear here. You need to pray. When Jesus was in the garden, of course, he took his his uh, three closest disciples with him, and he said to them, uh, "Pray with me," because he knew that they were going to go through some things, and he wanted them to be able to endure. They didn't, and they didn't endure, and they they kind of went through. So, in this prayer, in this praying that we should do. We need to pray and do some things to build ourselves up. This is what Jesus expected the disciples to do. And this is what we need to do. So we need to pray in such a way that we pray the word, encourage ourselves. That we we pray with the outlook of where is God taking this? What is the end result? A lot of times we're praying defeat. We're getting before God. Oh God, it's so hard. Oh God, it's so tough. I don't know if I can endure it. These kind of prayers are not going to help us get over into the into the other side. So if we think, well, I'm praying, yeah, you're praying, but you're not doing what you need to be doing. You need to be doing some prayers that are going to get you through. We can make prayers and say, Father God, what is the will that you have for me on this? If I know his will, I know the direction I need to go. I need to know, I'll know what I need to get through. I'll know what's going to happen on the other side. These things can help me get through. We can pray his word. What does his word promise me as I'm going through these things? When we pray these these particular things, that's what we can do. Now, Wiesp adds this in his translation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him keep on constantly praying. He adds that. Let him keep on constantly praying. It's not something that we just pray one time and we're done. Stay in there. Stay in there with the prayer. Let God communicate with you what is going on from His end. When we are in the suffering, when we're going through the hardship... We see what's going on going on on our end. We see what the enemy is throwing our way. But what is God having on His end? What is He doing? 
it is much easier for us to endure the hardship, endure the battle, if we know what God wants us to do, what God expects us to come through, what is our assignment in this, this thing. So find out what those things are, and you'll get through it a lot more. Many times people are going through suffering. They're not sure. They don't have clarity as to what I'm supposed to do. What, what am I supposed to accomplish here? And so the devil fills them with all kinds of uh, ideas. And while you're here, you know, people get the idea that they're suffering from some kind of weakness, sickness, whatever it is. And this, you're suffering because God wants to teach you a lesson. And so you just need to stay there and take this and uh, learn this lesson. <laughs> if that's not what God wants, then we're not going to learn any lesson. It's not going to help us. i got to find out from God what He wants to do. Understand the enemy's kingdom will constantly want to fill you with darkness on the thing that you're trying to endure. And then you're going through blind. Don't go through these things blind. Pray. Let God speak to you. Find out. God says, all right, this is what's going to happen. Here's the end result. Remember in the book of Revelation, the letters that he wrote to the churches, he told them, some of you are going to die. Some of you are going to be uh, martyred for this. He said, but don't you be concerned about it because on the other side, there's a, there's a special reward for you. <laughs> this is what's going on. Some of them were going through some suffering because of the persecution in the city for Christians. He gave them some insight on, on that. And some once in a while he would say, this isn't going to last for long. And it helps for us to know what is coming down the road. So, pray, be in constant communication with God. Find out what God is saying about what you're suffering, about what you're enduring, and make sure you have His His part on. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. There's nothing worse in the Christian area is that when you get a happy Christian and he gets among some of those that are enduring suffering. And we want all the ones that are enduring suffering to be happy like us. Oh, brother or sister, you just need to be happy. Oh, if you just were happy like I was, like I am, you wouldn't be going through all this stuff. No, if you're cheerful, if you're happy... Uh, you you sing. Don't be pulling me into your singing. I need to be praying. <laughs> I'm doing some enduring. I'm doing some suffering. I'm doing the praying. You're cheerful. You're happy. You get over over there and you sing psalms. But that's not how it generally is. How many have ever been guilted into, well, you just need to be happier. You just need to be more joyful. You just need to be this, that, the other thing. You're not singing loud enough. You're not singing often enough. You need to do more. And they try and guilt you into it. Maybe you're the one that he's writing to that's on the suffering side. <laughs> you're enduring some hardship right now. And singing is not all that easy for us to do. I'm not saying that it won't help you, but uh, he didn't say, is anyone among you suffering? Let him sing. He said, let him pray. If anyone's cheerful, if anyone's happy, having a good old time in, in their Christian walk, all right, you sing some songs. But it doesn't mean that just because I'm happy, i got to pull everybody else into that. So it also means if you're suffering, don't pull other people into your suffering. If you're suffering, you need to do your own praying. If you're happy, you need to do your own singing. Uh, I've seen Christians, then they always feel like, well, whatever I'm doing, everyone else ought to do it. And if they did, they'd be in better shape. So uh, I'm raising my hands. You need to raise your hands. Um, I'm singing loud. I'm shouting. You need to sing loud and shout. Now, the Word of God does tell us to do these things, and we ought to do it because the Word tells us, but don't do it because somebody guilts you into it. That's not going to help us out any. But let it become something that's genuine on the inside. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Get on out there and just start start singing. That doesn't always just mean songs that are recorded, songs that other people have done. Sometimes you just need to get out there and just let your own song come out. Get do it when you're by yourself. You know, sometimes it gets self-conscious about, well, these words may not be right. They may not uh, mean anything to anybody else. That's okay. You just sing to yourself. Sing to yourself. Just going home there, get yourself by yourself, and and just have some time singing. There are people that have the personality, and if, if they're cheerful, they're happy, they're singing, they don't care who's around. And that's fine. But uh, don't try and pull people into what the Word of God says you're supposed to do because you have to do it or you want them to help you or whatever it might be. Now the word here, cheerful, means to be in good spirits and to be of good courage. It means both things. To be in good spirits, cheerful, but also to be of good courage. 
People that are cheerful and joyful in the things that they face are generally of good courage. That's why he says when you encounter various trials, to be joyful, to be glad. That's where we ought to, ought to be. In Acts 27, 22, and now I urge you to take heart, there's our same word, for there will be no less, no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So he's telling them, look, take courage. Take, take, uh, be more cheerful. Don't be so glum. See, they were glum because they all thought they were going to die. Everything was going to be lost. We're going to just drown in the water. He says, no, no, no. Be, be glad because I'm telling you right now, we're getting through. Uh, a little bit further down in verse 25. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Further down in verse 36. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. Now, Weist adds this. Is anyone cheerful? Let him, let him keep on singing praises. Let him keep on. So it's not a one-time thing. You just keep on going. Keep on singing. So perhaps the idea behind the exhortation is that if you feel on top or under your circumstances, there is advice for you to follow. Sometimes we feel under the things that we're facing. And here's what we can do. We can pray. Sometimes you feel on top. You feel on top of the world. You feel like everything is going your way. Here's what you can do. There's some, some joyfulness that can be. But let's get over here to verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, generally, the way this is applied in the church is that people come into church and they and they say, I'm sick, I'm going to call for the elders, and the elders all come around, the the, the, the mature people in the church, they come on around and they all lay hands on them and they, and they, and they um, pray, pray for them, anoint them with oil, and we go on and we think, well, we have done this verse, and you have not done that verse at all. In fact, that application is not this verse one bit. But that's what it's always used. Now, I'm not saying that you can't come into church and that something can be wrong and that you can ask for you to be anointed with oil or hands laid on you or things of that nature. I'm just saying that if you use this particular verse for it, you would not be right. Is anyone among you sick? Now, the first thing we need to take a look at is this word sick. This word sick, astheneo, means weak, feeble, to be without strength and powerless. That's the definition of the word. That's what it means. In practice, when this word was used, when this word was used in classical Greek, when this word was used in the Septuagint Greek, when this word was used in New Testament Greek, this word has this meanings to it. It usually describes a person who is frail in health, too weak physically to travel, and in this case, to where Paul was ministering to the sick. Most likely, they are homebound people due to their health. Do you get that from this particular word? Now, I'm going to take you on a journey through the word where this word is used. I did not pull out every single one. I believe, if I remember the number right, that this word is used 30 times. We're not going to hit all of them, but we're going to hit a lot. I want you, I want you to get a feel of this word. In Matthew 25, verse 36, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you what? Why did you visit them when they were sick? Because they couldn't go anywhere else. They were not sick and just moving around. Have you ever been sick and still moved around? Sick and, sh- sick and still showed up at work? Because, <laughs> you know, you had to be at work. You had to... You go, of course, this is before all the, the, the nonsense with the virus went on. And now, you know, there's no regular sick. Everybody is deathly sick and you know you can't even have allergies anymore without getting funny looks from people <laughs> used to be able to you could have allergies and people want to treat you like they had the plague but not so much anymore but this this is talking about someone who's sick and they were not able to get around were not able to go anywhere and so you came and you visited me in mark chapter 6 verse 56 wherever he entered into villages cities or the country they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. They laid the sick in the marketplaces. This is the word that is used. They laid them because the sick, these particular sick, could not make the trip on their own. So they, the family, their friends, the people around them, carried them to this place, laid them down there, that they might just touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. Of course, that's what the woman with the issue of blood heard about and that gave her faith to sneak up behind them and do the same thing. 
Luke chapter 4, verse 40 and 41. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to Him. Look at that. All those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to Him. These sick people didn't make the trip on their own. They were brought because this word is used for those people who the sickness has made them weak enough that they are not able to make a trip on their own. And he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, verse 41 has some significance. That's why I left it in there. But we'll get into why in just a little while. Luke 7 and verse 10. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. This is talking about the centurion. Remember, he had a servant. And he could not make the trip. The centurion sent to Jesus. No, you don't have to come to my house. Just say the word. And they found the servant who had been sick. It is using this particular word because the servant could not get out on his own. John 4, 46, 47. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Now here, this sickness is so strong, he was going to die, almost at the point of dying, but he could not make the trip, so he left him at home. John 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, and in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. So that word, they're sick, in this verse, Multitude of sick people is this particular word. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Most of the time you'll see this word used. It is used of conditions that have been with them for a long period of time. And that period of time is part of what has drained them of their energy or their ability to, to get about. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him. There is our word. The sick man answered him. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming and other steps down before me, Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately a man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The sickness made him too weak to be able to get into the pool quickly enough to be able to to um, reap the, the healing that was there when the angel stirred up the water. Someone would bring him to the pool. Most of those cases, these were people who were brought to the pool and laid there. This is this one here in particular was, was uh, the one that Jesus singled out. John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. It is translated diseased here, but it's the same word. Translated sick other places. They saw signs. What signs did they see? They saw people who were so sick they could not get up. They could not get around. They could not function normally. And all of a sudden now they are functioning normally. These are long-term conditions. Most of the time this word is used. It is used for incurable conditions. Conditions for which the people in that day had no hope that they would get better through medical means. This word is used to describe Lazarus in John chapter 11 when he was sick. Lazarus doesn't make the trip to Jesus because Lazarus is too sick to make the trip. Now him in particular... We know that he was not sick for very long. It was not a long-term condition, but it was a severe one and it sapped him of his strength and pretty soon took his life. It is used of Tabitha, or also known as Dorcas of Joppa, in Acts chapter 9, who became sick and died. She became sick and this word is used to describe this sickness, but then she also died from that and uh, they went in and, and healed her. And not, uh, Romans chapter 4 verse 19, and not being weak in faith, not being weak in faith, our same word is here, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
Well, his faith had been weak for a long period of time and it kept this promise from coming about. But here, in this particular situation, his faith was not weak. His faith was, was so you almost say, his faith was healed of that sickness that kept him weak and so that he was now believing. Romans 8, 3 and 4. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. The law does not have the strength. This is not a short-term condition. This is a long-term condition of the law. The law was never intended to be able to, to do this for you. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 14, 1 and 2. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not the disputes over doubtful things. For one who believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. This is talking about your spiritual walk, your faith in the, in the things of what is sin and what is not sin. They're weak in this, and it's using this particular word for it. Romans 14:21 It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine or nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. One more here in Philippians chapter 2 verse 25 Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus my brother fellow worker and fellow soldier but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. This is the word that is used. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me." What it seems to be indicating is that this man saw that something was lacking, that these people should have been able to provide. They didn't provide it. He saw there was a need and decided to step up and he pushed himself even to the point of not only total exhaustion, but pushed himself to the point where he became sick, his body became weak, and he almost died for the cause of the, the work of the ministry here. Now, Paul is not saying, well, he did what was, what was right. He saw a need and he, he stepped out there and, and he, he went after it. How many times have we seen needs and we just step out and we just do everything we can to, to uh, help it out, to accomplish the thing? But it's not something we're supposed to do. It's not something that is in our uh, jurisdiction, something that we need to do. And it makes us weaker <laughs> sometimes for, for that. This is what he's talking about here. So you get an idea of what this verse is doing. But I have one more verse here that I want to spend a lot more time on. And so I saved this one here for the end. And this is Acts chapter 19 and verse 12. This is speaking about the special miracles that were done by the hands of Paul. So that, verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. That's our word. And the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Now this verse gives us some other clues as to things that are going on with this type of sickness. And so we're going to take a look at, at some of these things. Now, most of those references that I read for you, I left in your, your outline there for you so that you could go in and look them up later. I had to abbreviate some of them, but just trying to compact them and get them in there. But if you want to go back and see any of those, those are, are in there. Now, there's some blanks that you had in your outline. I'll give you these. So this is not a sickness like a sudden headache or a temporary flu but a long-time sickness that has resulted in a weakened or feeble condition of the person affected. This is not a sickness like a sudden headache or a temporary flu, but a long-time sickness that has resulted in a weakened or feeble condition of the person affected. Now, in all those verses that we read, we did see a handful of situations where the, the sickness was short-lived, but very severe and just drained the, the strength out of their body. But for the most part, it is, is used of more long-term conditions. Now, let's go back over here to Acts chapter 19. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. It was brought from his body to the sick because Paul could not get from... Or I'm sorry, they could not get where they were to where Paul was. And maybe Paul doesn't have the time to go 
and visit all these people in their houses or in the places where they're at. And so what they had done, and we don't know how they came to this knowledge, but somehow they got to this knowledge. Maybe God told him in a dream, gave him a word of knowledge, whatever it be. Just carry the, just take this cloth, lay hands on it, carry it with you, whatever, and then send it home with them and have them put it on them. So anyway, they, they did so. Uh, no one else had done this. And when they would take this cloth and put it on them, this healing would, would come about. Now we've seen many times, any, anymore today, that it's become almost like the laying on of hands. Well, if you can't have hands laid on you, then we got prayer cloths over here and we're going to pray over the prayer cloths and then we're going to send them on home with you. <laughs> but this is a special miracle that was done through the hands of Paul. We don't really have that uh, this was done through uh, a whole mess of people. This was just done through... through some, now, there's other people there that they could have done it. As far as we know, this never occurred through the ministry of Jesus. As far as we know, it didn't occur through the ministry of the other people who had healing ministries and, and things were going on. But it occurred through the hands of Paul. And I'm not saying that God won't ever do it again. If God did it once, He can certainly do it again and probably would. But it's not so common that I can just... Well, if I can't lay hands, I'll just pray over this cloth and just take this cloth on over there. That was a special miracle. But a lot of times this is, this is going on. Of course, some places have even commercialized it. And so at the back, they, they're selling their special prayer cloths. And if you buy one of their special prayer cloths, then they'll bring it up to the front and they'll uh, lay hands on it and then they'll send it on home with you. Uh, <laughs> that's not what they did with the time of Paul. Paul took the cloths that they had. He took the aprons and he took the handkerchiefs. The handkerchiefs belonged to the ladies. The aprons belonged to the men. The aprons were, were things that the men would wear in their, their trades and these things would protect them from the fire, from the molten uh, metal, the things that they would do. That was the kind of apron that it was. He would take those aprons and then they would bring them to the meeting and then they would send them on home with them. Or the, the handkerchiefs were some of the things that the women would carry. So these are things they brought to the meeting. They didn't buy it at the meeting. They, they brought them to the meeting and then they took it on home to the people. So if we're going to do what they did in the Word of God... That we need to do what they did, and and uh, go after it that way. But anyway, this is what they, this is what we do. We we take a lot of times things we see once in the Word of God, and we try and mimic it. But again, there are people that are going to have that anointing, and there are people that are going to have this kind of thing go on. But it does not need to happen all the time, or to be expected. We are told that if we lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. We're not told that if we pray over cloths. And they go over to the sick people that they will recover from that. So do what the Word of God tells us to do. So the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Now this word here, diseases, is the Greek word nasas, which is used to describe sickness or illness caused by invisible entities like demons. This is not a meaning that we are putting on it. This is the meaning that they had in the Greek when it was used not only in the Bible but outside of the Bible. This word is used in this context, in this use, outside of the Bible. People were uh, writing about these kind of situations that would go on. I uh, wrote this, this note down. The word, word portrayed people who were tormented physically or mentally, people who were afflicted by an unseen entity or those who were vexed with lunacy or madness. It was used to describe plagues that were attributed to demonically inspired disasters or physical terminal illnesses for which medical science had no known remedy. If it was a Nassas plague sent to an entire city or region, the ancients believed it was a scourge of demon spirits that simply had to run its course because none of their natural efforts could stop it. So medical attempts to treat a Nassas illness were considered futile because Nassas was a type of sickness or demonic attack beyond help and recovery. This was how this word was used earlier. All right, people of the day assumed that someone with a Nassas disease had no hope of recuperation. Every time the word this word was used. So reading this verse again, so that the even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them. The diseases left them. The nasas left them. This is talking about the disease departing. In other words, there was something on them that caused this disease. They, this is either an evil spirit or the sickness and disease itself 
is what brought that weakness to the body. And so what he's saying is that that disease, when they brought that cloth over to this person, that disease or the spirit that caused the disease left their body. So there was a physical leaving. And I believe I even put some things in there about the, the, the word there. But when this... Uh, let's see, yeah, there it is. When it says departed, it uses the Greek word apolasso. Apolasso, which means to set free, to be changed, to be radically transformed, or to be liberated or unfettered from something. The term never denoted a temporary cure. Only a permanent one. Whenever you saw this word on in there talking about a disease leaving a person, it was never used temporarily. It was not that the disease left you today, but tomorrow you might feel bad again. It's talking about that disease made a journey. It made a trip. It went somewhere. Let me go back here and read this again. So that the hang, even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. When it says here that they went out of them, the the Greek word there is a compound word, the first part of that word being ek, which is out, and uh, pereomai, when you combine the both of these, which is uh, uh, when you combine both of these, it means to to go out, to leave, or to go away. So he is saying here that the evil spirits went out of them. The evil spirits went out of them. Paul is giving the impression here, using this, that when the garments came upon them, if the evil spirit was behind the sickness or the disease that caused the condition of weakness that that evil spirit went out of them, made a journey away from them, left them completely. They were gone. Let me read this again. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and his diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. So in looking at this verse, this verse has given us a little bit more idea about this word for sick. When it is talking about this word for sick, it is talking about something that has come and has settled down. It may be an evil spirit. It may not be. But it may be an evil spirit. But it may just be a sickness and disease that has come upon this person. And while this sickness or disease was upon this person, it drained them of their strength. It caused them to get closer and closer to death. It was a long-term condition for some. A few of them we saw. It was a short-term condition, but it drained them even of life. Lazarus, we saw, died from it. Dorcas was one who died from it in a very short period of time. Other people had it for a longer period of time and it just constantly drained them, made them weak, made them get to the place where they could not could not um, uh, do things for themselves, could not leave the house. They were stuck in the house. So when it's using this verse and it says, is anyone among you sick? It is using this verse. Again, it's used 30 times in Scripture. How many of them did I read? 15, 20? Something like that. I read a lot of them. I didn't read all of them. Because I don't want to... I'm pushing you with this many, I'm sure. But I want you to get an idea. I'm not just telling you something that we want this word to mean this. This is how this word is used. You can go through and look at all the times that this word is used and see this is what is going on with this. He says, when he says, let them call for... Let me go back here. Call for the elders. This word call for is uh, the definition of it means to call to oneself. This means I don't go to you. You call me to come to you. Now, we've told you before, Greek is extremely expressive in their words, far more so than English. I'm not just telling you that we like this word to mean this. This word is used 30 times in the Bible by Jesus. These are the ways that it is used. He uses it to call his disciples. How many times does he call his disciples? Guys, come on around here. I got something to teach you. Guys, come on around here. I got something to do for you. Guys, come on around here. I want to tell you which ones of you I'm going to pick as the 12. He calls his disciples to himself. He did that uh, a number of times. He um, Remember the verse of scripture where he called the little children to himself? Let the little children come to me. He's calling the children to himself. This is where it is used here. John the Baptist was in prison and he called 
a few of his disciples to himself and said, go talk to Jesus. Ask him, are you the one? Are you the one? He called them to himself. It is used a number of other times by the disciples in the book of Acts where they called people to themselves. This word, when it is used, is used by the person calling whoever to themselves. You cannot apply this verse if you are the one who was who is going to do the anointing of oil. You cannot say, oh, brother, sister, so-and-so is sick at home. I will go and lay hands on them. No. It says they called them to themselves. When it says let them call for the elders, that means the person that is doing, that is being sick must be doing the calling. Now the reason that's important is over the, over the many years of ministry I've seen many many times when people they love they have someone they love someone they greatly care for and they bring them out to church and then they slip in a little prayer request so and so wants prayer but so and so doesn't know that they want prayer they didn't even know that anybody put a prayer request in and I've been in situations where so and so wants you want to have prayer huh <laughs> now see they did not do any calling Beside that, even came into the building. But beside that, they didn't do any calling. There is no calling. If you want prayer, he says, let them call for... Don't have somebody else. You know, you might have a concerned mom and, and so forth. Let them call. Now, we saw it in the Bible that there were times that uh, uh, the nobleman's son, he went out, he called for Jesus himself to come for his son. But he has authority over his son. He can go out there and he can do that. That son is under him. And most of those times you're going to see that where the father, the mother came and they, they came on behalf of the son or daughter. They had authority you know, over that son or daughter. But they get to a certain age, they don't have that anymore. Now the one case we don't see that is that's, that's the uh, centurion. The centurion may not have had that same, he didn't have parental authority, but he may have had other authority. He may have gone to the, the servant and if, in order for this to work, I'm sure that it would have had to, that... Um, he went to him and said, look, I'm going to go uh, call on Jesus. Is that all right with you? Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And I'm sure somehow that, that authority was granted to him because that was a man who understood authority and he didn't just go and usurp it. So there is that calling too. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. If anyone among you is sick, if anyone among you is at home, not able to get out, the sickness or disease has bound you up and that you cannot move yourself around the way that you are, cannot get out to where the thing is going on, let them call for the elders of the church. Now, sometimes you'll see people make this application. They want to be lazy. Well, I don't feel like going to church, but I want somebody to come over and pray for me. Hey, will you come over here and pray for me? And But see, they don't meet up to this verse. This verse is very specific in that we are talking about people that are so sick they cannot get out on their own. So let them call for. Otherwise, they need to get out and go find the, the person they want to pray for. Now, it says then anointing with oil. Now, I, I tried to do something on this. I just I wanted to go and I, I did a search on YouTube to find some other people who ministered on this verse. I got through a couple of them, didn't get all the way through, got so angry and frustrated, I just, I could not believe the stuff that is out there that people teach on this verse. It, it just, it made me angry. It didn't just, I was, I was just downright angry. How can you teach this about this verse? How can you teach these things about this? But they, they would do it. Here's some of the things that are out there, just in case you ever hear of them. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is, this, I heard this on two or three of them. Two or three of them actually taught the exact same thing on, I mean, these are huge churches. They have, uh, well-known pastors. I've heard of them before, but I hadn't listened to anything of their stuff. I won't ever do it again either. That's, <laughs> I cannot communicate to, to you enough how angry I was when I was hearing these things that they were doing. But they were, trying to take the anointing of oil. They would take it this way. Well, oil in the Old Testament was a form of medicinal uh, medicine for people. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan and he took the oil and he put it into the wounds? Well, they saw it as medicine. 
So what you're looking at here is that the, the elders of the church would come over and they would pray in conjunction with what was being done medically. That just that was one of the things that got me mad. I'm not going to tell you everything that got me mad on these things. But I was so shocked that the people are actually out there teaching what these things are. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that James means exactly what he says. Anoint them with oil. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. This is not the only way that you can get healed. This is not the only method for people to get used, but it is the method that James is talking about here. In Mark chapter 6, 56, when we read that, they touched the hem of his garment. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 40, hands were laid on. In 7.10, we saw that the word was spoken. These, There are other methods that were used when this particular type of sickness was in play. In John chapter 5, they were... Um, they were at the pool. And uh, Jesus just said, get up. In, in um, John chapter 11, Lazarus, he's not even touched. Jesus just calls him. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out. This is not the only way. But most of those other stories that involve Jesus involve some type of gift to the Holy Spirit. There was either a gift of healing in operation. There was a working of miracles in operation. There was a gift of faith in operations. Some of the power gifts seem to have been involved in that. What James is telling you here is, there is a way for you to take people that are in those long-term conditions, that are so weak they can't even get out of the house, there is a way for you to get ministry to them simply by the anointing of oil. And this is the method he gives. He's not restricting this if you have a particular gift of the Holy Spirit on you. He seems to bypass the gifts of the Spirit on here. If, the, if there were gifts of the Spirit in operation, by all means, go after them. If you've got somebody who's got the gift of healing for that particular ailment that they have, go after that. Get that gift of healing there and, and pursue that. But he's trying to give them a way. Remember, these are all dispersed all around the kingdom. They may not have as many gifts of the Spirit in operation where they're at. So is any among you sick? Let him pr- call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the way, it would seem, that if you don't have any kind of specific gifting going on, through there is a general way that you can do it. Get the elders of the church. Get the pastors of the church. Remember, in these cities, they would have pastors over home groups. This is what the elders were. They were home group pastors. Get them together. Get from this one, this one, this one, this one. Get more than just one. Get the elders of the church. Get a multiple of them there. Bring them on in. Anoint them with oil. And you'll see a change in this situation. Now, one of, the, one of the things that was common amongst these three guys that I listened to is that each one of them, in reading this, was saying there's no guarantee that they will get well. And they use, the reason that they do that is they say, well, look, just look at it by experience. People have done this and people have not gotten well. But as you can see, the experiences that we have does not line up with what this verse says. Now, we had to study to get this stuff out of it, but in James's day, when he's writing this letter, they all know what these words mean. They know what this word means. They know what he's talking about. They don't confuse it with all these other things that we confuse it with. Well, I got a cold. I'm going to go to church and call for the elders and they lay hands on me. You can do that. You get a cold, you know, come to church, get hands laid on you or whatever it might be. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with doing that. We're just talking about what this verse is, is referred to or using here. So let's go on to verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. I don't know about you, but that seems pretty certain to me. It seems that if we do what, what James is talking about here, that this is the end result and the prayer of faith. Well, if you get together and anoint this person and call on, on, on things to change, but don't have any faith in it, I don't suppose that it's going to happen. Didn't James already teach that if we are double-minded, that we're not going to receive anything from the Lord? So if we're not in faith believing, if I don't know exactly what it is that God has said, I'm not going to be in faith believing. 
And if you take it a verse just like this and you just assume, well, it can mean this and it can be this and I want it to be this and just apply it anywhere that you want to apply it, you're not having faith in God's word. You're having faith in what you think God's word is saying. What you want God's word to say. But the only thing I can hold God to is what he said. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. That word will is used twice. I don't see where there's uncertainty. But you... <laughs> this is on YouTube. I'm watching these guys. And when they got to this, I actually rewinded it. I want to watch these guys say this thing. And they looked the camera, looked right into the eyes of the camera. This does not mean it will always work. Oh, it made me mad. If you are teaching people not to have faith in the Word of God, why are you in the, in the pulpit? Why in the world are you out there teaching? That's one of the reasons why it got me mad. If I approach anything in the Word of God and do not know what the Word said, I am ignorant. I'm applying my ignorance. And I'm not having faith to believe. Then no, it's not going to work. But don't you apply that to God. Don't you say to God, your Word won't work. No, I didn't apply myself. I didn't figure out what you, what you were saying. I didn't understand what you were saying. Now you might say, well... Pastor, you're making this so complex. This is so hard to understand. It's not really all that hard to understand. Everything I have told you about this, you can get in so many different places. You could look up on vines, which is completely, complete English, and get the same thing. You can find the same thing. You don't need to have just, just this. You can go pull out Rick Renner's book, and you'll find the same thing. You can find other places in there too. You can find translations that will actually translate this into the translation. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, the word there, then the prayer of faith will save the sick, is the Greek word sozo. How many know what the word sozo is? That's the word salvation. That's where we get our, our, our word salvation from. The prayer of faith will save. The uh, oh, and This is one of those other things they were teaching in here. And I've heard this, I, I went round around with somebody in a faith church. This minister, new minister came on in, and he's all educated. He's got all kinds of degrees and so forth, and we were having this debate, and he took me over to Peter, and he said, Peter is not talking about physical healing, he's talking about spiritual healing. It makes me so mad every time I hear about that. You are not spiritually healed. You are spiritually reborn. Your old spirit died, was declared to be dead, and the new one is declared to be alive. That new one does not need to be healed. There is no spiritual healing. You are spiritually reborn. We even call it be born again. The healing talked about in the Word of God is for your physical body. Which is why Jesus Christ, when He, uh, when we do communion, we do it in two parts. The bread, which He did before supper. You've been here anytime? Any number of times that we've done communion, you know I always emphasize it. Before supper, he took the bread. After supper, he took the wine. He's separated between a whole meal. He's showing people there are two different parts. If the blood is all we need for forgiveness of sins, then why is the body in there? If that's all I need for the forgiveness of sins, there's no reason to have the body. And yet Isaiah talked about his body being broken for us. Then I won't even tell you what these, all three of these ministers got into the body. Oh. They should, they should not be allowed to teach these things from the pulpit. But they taught things about the body of Jesus Christ that, that should not be taught. Jesus himself, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On his body was put the curse that was on ours. So that we do not have to bear it anymore. But by His blood we have been purchased. By His blood we have been redeemed. In the Old Testament it was the blood of bulls and goats that covered up sin. But in the New Testament we have the blood of the Son of God who washed our sin away. We are not to confuse the the things. The blood is not part of the healing process. The body is. The blood is part of the salvation process the redemption process. It is the body that is part of the healing process. And the prayer of faith 
will save. Sozo, the sick and the Lord will raise him up. The sickness or disease has laid them out. That's why it's saying raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now that gets got all kinds of places on there too. But again, I put your blank. I already gave you this blank, but I'll give it to you again because I didn't give it to you here. You probably didn't write it down. This does not seem to involve any of the power gifts. We're, we're not involving the power gifts here. We're looking at a way to get these healings processes done for people outside of the gifts, power gifts. But again, if you have the power gifts, take them. In Mar- in Matthew chapter 9, he got into a boat, crossed over and came to his own city. Then behold, he, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But you may, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he rose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. Some of the people marveled and glorified God, but the other ones got, got all indignant about it, and the anointing of God that was there in that meeting was shut down. But here we see that when Jesus has brought a paralytic, this is this type of sickness. He can't carry himself around. This sickness has come upon him and has sapped him of his ability to walk. Other people have to carry him around. So he qualifies for this particular type of sickness. And when they brought him in, and he's paralyzed, he's a paralytic, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. James is not teaching us that all sickness results in in a sick. Or I'm sorry, all sin results in sickness, or that all sickness is the result of you having sinned somewhere. Though some people get that idea, if they're sick, I guess I must have missed it. I guess I must have done something. Can you think of a time in your life where you sinned? You knew you sinned and did not get sick. Can, can we not think of scores of times we sinned, but we did not get sick? And other times where a sickness or disease came upon you, but you had no idea about any kind of sin that you had done. There is not a direct relationship between sin and sickness, but it can have a relationship. It does not mean it's automatic. But it can happen. In this particular situation where Jesus is ministering, there is a sin behind the sickness. So he dealt with the sin first. And then they, when they all got upset with him, they say, well, which is easier to say? But you see, he got rid of the sin problem that was that had brought that thing on. We don't know what it was. He didn't tell us. It wasn't important for us to know. But then he said, rise and take up your bed and walk. And he rose, took up his bed, and he walked. See, that thing came off of him. As we said, sin is not always the cause of a sickness, nor is a sickness always the result of sin. It can be there, but it does not have to be. That God, sometimes God will speak to you about some things and, and tell you as you're ministering to people, they think this sin is in the way. It may not be, but they think it is. If I think this sin is in my way, that can hinder me. Now, it keeps me from having faith, and you've got to deal with that. Now, I put this in your outline here at the end. When something is going on with my own conditions, that's my feelings, emotions, health, so forth, it is up to me to initiate a, a direction. I need to initiate a direction. Don't be waiting on other people. Well, I'm just waiting for the Spirit of God to come on somebody and then to, to hear what to do and no. What James is telling you is that there's something going on with your emotions. If there's something coming on and changing your feelings. If there's something that has come on and changed your health. You need to initiate a new direction. You need to do something. If, you've, uh, if you're going under some, some tough times, you're enduring some things, well, you need to pray. But you need to pray right. You need to pray the way the Word of God teaches us to pray. I'm sure he's saying, pray the way I taught you. James is probably saying that. He taught him how to pray. I taught you what to pray. And he's saying, pray that way. If you're joyful, be out there singing. 
And if you're sick with this type of a sickness where you can't get up and do the things that you would need to do, this is what you need to do. Call for the elders. Let them come over and anoint you with oil. Don't fall into somebody should, somebody ought to, somebody else ought to be doing this. Don't be falling into that. This is what James is trying to get you out. You are the somebody. You are the somebody who ought to do something. And he gave you three situations there. I'll bet you he probably could have kept on going and said some more situations. If you're this way, get out there and do this. If you're this way, get out there and do this. There's things that we can do. But understand what the Word of God is to, to say. Now, the Word of God was written in a language that is different from ours. But we can know what it is. We can understand what it, what it is. It's, Greek is not hard for us to find out what these, these things are about. And uh, many times when we go into the Word of God, we'll show you some of the things that are in the Greek. I love the Greek language. I like it better than English. It's just, I, I, I get excited getting into the Greek. I don't get excited breaking down English. English bores me. It's just, it's, it's really a dull language. But Greek is exciting. It's, it's expressive. It's, uh, it does some things that you need many words to do in the English. But there's many translations out there anymore that, uh, that overcome this. Williams is one. Do you know you can get Williams online? If anybody, you hear me, uh, quote from the Williams translation, there's actually a place you can get online. Uh, my nephew found that for me one time when I was talking about it here on a Wednesday night. I guess he saw it online. He, he sent me a note. He said, hey, you can find it here. And I did. Marked it. And I keep going there, cutting and pasting and put it in the outline so I can read some things to you from it. Um, cause it's out of print. We had a bunch of them in here. I think we're all going with them now. But, um, uh, it was out of print. It got put back into print. I think Raymond was helpful in, in getting it to uh, be put back into print. But he does a great job with that. Weist. If you don't want to read all the details of the breakdown of the, of the Greek, you can, he has a great translation. And you can get out there and do, um, and to read that. How many people have ever downloaded Olive Tree on your phone? If you haven't downloaded Olive Tree, your, and there's other apps out there that'll do this too. I just know Olive Tree does it and does it really well. Um, that's the app I have on my phone. Uh, it transfers from your phone to your, uh, from an Apple phone to an Android phone or an Apple device to an Android device, and it'll sync up on all your devices on your computer, no matter what it is it'll do. There's some things I don't like about it, but uh, one of the things that it really does is it has all these translations. You can get the the Williams, not the Weiss, not, not the Williams, but you can get the Weiss translation right there, and you can switch over and you can you can read what how how Weiss breaks it down, how uh, Weiss translates that that particular thing. Um, there's a few other translations out there as as well. So if you ever want to do something like that, you can you can do that. You have many resources in which you can you can accomplish this, and you can find out what is the word saying. We we are responsible to study the word. Just A lot of people just look at the Word and they come up with whatever interpretation they want to. And I'm just going to live by this. But the Word of God specifically says that the Word of God is not for any private interpretation. You cannot get whatever you want out of it and just make it go that way. God said what He said and God intended what He intended. And if you try and read something else into that, He is not obligated. That goes into the area of presumption. We don't want to be be getting into there. We want to stay in the area of faith. So, know what it says in the, in the Word. Understand passages like this and apply them the way they are. If we apply what God says and do what God says, we have uh, absolute certainty that what God said, He is able to do. He is able to bring it about. And uh, if ever I am doing something I think the Word of God tells me and it doesn't work, somehow I misunderstood something. Somehow I didn't apply it in the right way. And I go back to God to find out what it was. And he'll tell you. He'll, uh, he'll help you with that. But Father, we thank you that no matter what this world throws at us, no matter what it is that comes our way, that we are not just having to wait, see if things change, to see if somebody will be raised up to do something to help us, to bring us out. But there's things that we can do. James talks about three of these situations, how we can... We can do something. We don't just have to stand around and wait for other people. For joyful, we don't have to have other people be joyful with us. We can just be joyful ourselves, and that's good. We have to undergo some hardship. It's 
nice when we have other people that can come along and help us. But even if we don't, there's things we can do that's just by ourselves. And even there, when we have people in this world and they have this kind of condition of health that has just drained them, it's taking them down to where they can't even get out of the house. Well, there's a way for them to be taken care of too. So we thank you no matter what situation we find ourselves in life, your word has a provision for us to get help. Give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.